Hi, this is Kim Shea, your host of Pivot and Thrive. Today is Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. And today I have the honor of speaking with Dr. Sarah Zeff Geber. She's a certified retirement coach and she's an author of a book called Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers, a huge topic for this generation. And uh, she's on here today to talk to us about what she knows and what we need to know as we move forward in retirement. So thank you so much for coming on today, Dr. Sarah Geber. Should I call you Dr. Sarah, Dr. Geber? Which would you prefer? You can actually just call me Sarah and I'm happy to be here, Kim. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Tell me about your background. Sure. Um, I started out doing um, human resources work and that kind of morphed into organizational development, leadership development, and that kind of thing. Did a lot of training, did a lot of traveling back in the 90s. And then I ultimately was doing a great deal of coaching, uh, probably in the early 2000s. So after, um, after about 10 years of that, I noticed that a lot of my clients, who were probably around my age, you know, leading edge baby boomers, were wanting to talk more about their strate- their retirement plans than their strategic plans. So I, at that point, I thought, you know, there's something in the wind here. And I started looking at the idea of helping some of these folks to move from their corporate positions, which they had had in many cases for somewhere between 30 and 40 years, to the next act in their lives, whatever that was going to be. Some of them wanted pure retirement. Some of them were scared to death of pure retirement. And I don't blame them because most boomers today don't want to live on the golf course and and, um, just have a life of leisure. So it's uh, retirement coaching involves a a lot of um, a lot of just values, clarification and soul searching about what people want to do. And it's a very individual thing. But that's how I transitioned. Um, I was doing executive coaching, and that just morphed into retirement coaching for me. Wow, you were ahead of the ahead of your time there. Seems like a little bit right on the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not very many people doing it back then. Although there was a certification program, and um, even though I have a doctoral degree in you know in the in human behavior, I didn't know anything about the psychology of retirement. And I learned a huge amount taking that certification program uh, that I have that I have applied to this day. And what prompted you to write a book? Well, you know, after a few years of retirement coaching, this one on one coaching, I also began to notice around me an interesting phenomenon. Some of my coachees, a lot of my colleagues and friends were starting to spend a tremendous amount of time taking care of their aging parents. It was a little bit of a, an aha moment for me because I, I, my parents had died uh, earlier in my life um, when I was in my 30s, and my husband also had lost his parents early, so we didn't even think about it. But here were so many of our friends flying back and forth from one coast to the other, spending weekends trying to make sure there was food in the in the house for their parents or taking them to pick up medications or grocery shopping or you name it. And because my husband and I don't have kids and neither do many of my friends, I asked my I asked a good friend of mine one day, I said, who's going to do that for us? And the answer, of course, was (laughs) crickets. Um, There really isn't anyone in line to do that for most people who don't have children. So my original definition of solo agers was anyone who didn't have children, whether they were married or not. Because even if you're married and you don't have kids, you don't know who's going to predecease the other. We just don't have a crystal wall for all that. Um, So, so that was my original definition, and, and that has has uh, changed and, and morphed over the last uh, six or eight years where I've been talking about it. And so many people have come up to me and said, you know, people with kids are not the only solo agers. Um, I have kids, but they live 6,000 miles away, or I'm estranged from my kids, or um, it's just they're just not available for one reason or another. So I, I've 
come to realize that the solo aging bucket includes a lot of people, not just those of us who don't have kids. Oh, yeah, especially um, if you talk to people who are doing caregiving, a lot of times it's one child who's doing yes. all the caregiving or nobody has time like you found out. Yeah. So it's it's rough, especially just the way we live now, I guess, is part of the component, but it's tough. And we're yeah. very mobile. So many people move so far away. Um, and I see a lot of people who do have kids uprooting themselves and moving to where the kids and grandkids are only to see that the kids and grandkids uproot themselves and move again because of a job offer or some, or something. And uh, that's, that's, so that's a kind of a risky move even for parents. Yeah. Is that something you would advise against if somebody's retiring and a lot of times people retire and they think I'm going to go move where my kids and grandkids are. Is that something you would caution? Caution? Yes. Um, but just caution. A lot of people do that, and there's very good reason to do that. But I would suggest taking a real good look and having the conversation with your kids about how stable are you in Oklahoma City or Little Rock, Arkansas, or wherever they've moved to. How definite are you that you're going to stay here? What does your job forecast look like? Does this person work for him or herself? Um, are they employed by some big corporation that moves people around a lot. So have the conversation first. I mean, I've seen so many people just kind of pick up and move and it's not always the smartest move. So, but it is for some people, the smartest move. So it really depends on the circumstance and the conversation that I hope you'll have um, with those kids before you just simply up and do it. Yeah. Okay. So talk to, talk to your family, see what's really going on. Um, yeah. so what, what do you see people getting wrong in solo aging in their plans? What do you, what stands out as being that what they're doing wrong or, or right? I'd like to hear both. Sure. Well, you've hit the magic word and that's plan. And what I, <clears throat> what I see people doing so often is not planning, just leaving it to serendipity. And that, I find that very scary I think that solo wagers above all others should make a plan for themselves. And planning involves not only thinking about where you're going to live, um, how you're going to maintain your community and your social support system. Those are both very important. Um, but also what, what you want as you as you age. And that, of course, takes us into the discussion of what are your plans for care? Because the statistics are pretty daunting on that. It says that about 70% of us are going to need some kind of long-term care at some point in our lives. Now, it might be as simple as someone to live with or to come and live with you for two or three weeks after a knee replacement or a hip replacement. It may be that you won't have the opportunity to plan as you would for something like that. Um, falls are a hazard. Various diseases are a hazard. It's just the, 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 um, the most egregious thing that I see is people, whether they're solo agers or not, just with their head in their sands about later life. So for me, one of the reasons why I moved beyond just talking about retirement is that I saw a huge need to talk to people about the plan for the rest of their lives. And much as we would like it to, uh, we're not all going to live out our lives as fully functional, fully capable people, and then just boom, die one day on the tennis court or you know, on their daily yeah. run or on the golf course. It just, we all want to go that way when we go. Now let's all go that way when we're about 97. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately um, the, the universe has different things in store for, for different people. So kind of understanding what your life may look like as you get into your eighties and your nineties and how you want to be supported 
uh, because you will need some support. There's no doubt. If you do live into your 90s, you're probably not going to do so in your two-story suburban home without some help. And that's where grown kids usually come into the act. So if you don't have those adult children, um, you're going to need to plan in some other way. So we're talking about not staying in your suburban two-story house and your big yard and all the upkeep and the maintenance. I know a lot of people, that is the dream. They think that's the dream, is to age in place. They want to stay in their home they've lived in forever. And then if they do manage to do that, can find out they're very isolated. There's a lot of physical hazards too, but there's a lot of isolation and being cut off. Do you advise people to start looking at some communities they'd like to live in or some arrangement with one or more people that they like to live with? Yeah, exactly, Kim. I, I encourage people to look beyond that house that they've lived in for 30 or 40 years. Um, I know they love it. Um, I love the housework that I'm in. Um, I've already, my husband and I have already downsized to a one level home, but we know we won't stay there as solo agers we will move to some kind of a senior living community or there's other options. Um, People can check out what it might be like to live in a co-housing community or a mobile home park. There are so many options for having a community around you that really don't involve any kind of institutionalized uh, senior living. Uh, And that's what I think a lot of people fight against say, I'm not leaving this house because the other option sounds like it's going to be some kind of institutional living that somebody is always telling them what to do. And that's something they don't want. And and I understand that very few people, we all want to maintain our own autonomy and independence as we get older, but we need to figure out a way to do it safely. Yeah, that's really important. Safety. Unless you don't want that either. I always tell people they have the right to fall if that's what they want to do and they want to be by themselves. That's, yep. that's certainly they, an option, absolutely. but it's not as much fun. I had a fellow at one of the talks that I was giving for um, ASA, the American Society on Aging, a few years ago. And I, I always my talks were always about solo aging. And they used to give me these little tiny rooms that sat about 25 people. And every year I'd have 90 people hanging <sighs> you know, sitting on the floor, hanging out the door and people telling them they couldn't come into the session because people are really interested in it and they want answers. And in a lot of ways, there aren't perfect, wonderful answers to this. And I had one fellow toward the back of the room that I raised his hand and I called on him and he, he said, well, I live 10 miles out of town in a house that I really love and I like it that way. I'm not really a people person. I, and I, I've decided to just stay there. So what do you got for me? And I looked at him and I said, I don't have anything for you. It is absolutely your right to stay in that home. And at some point, you're going to have some sort of an accident. You're going to fall or whatever. And if you happen to have your phone in your hand and you can call for help, great. Otherwise, somebody's going to find you two or three days later. But that is absolutely your right. What did he say? Well, he, what could he say? <laughs> he <just shrugged. laughs> well, it could be like, you know, damn straight, that's what I'm doing, or yeah, and thought yeah. About. It's like, okay, you know, it's, I absolutely believe that people have a right to live lives the way they want. However, it is kind of my mission in life to drag people's heads out of the sand and make them at least think about some choices for their later life and think about. Maybe who they want to talk to about it. Are there people that they would like to have um, be res- maybe, I don't say responsible for them, but it, if you do your estate planning, you know that you have to pick proxies and agents for your health care and mm. for um, your, have your power of attorney. So the other piece of that is you want to talk to those people and let them know, where you're going to be, what you want. Um, When the time comes, if you get taken to the hospital for something, what do you want them to decide for you? So communication is another big, big piece of this. And talking to people about 
what you want to do, where you want to be. And if you're not sure, there are probably family members somewhere or friends that can help you think it through. Yeah, I hope so. It always worries me when someone says they're not a people person because (laughs) my response tends to be, you know, dogs are great. Cats are great. They're not going to drive you to the hospital if something happens to you. They're not going to (laughs) come visit you in the hospital. They can't help you change a dressing if you need to change one when you come home. It's just, it's, it's, it's kind of an isolating way to be to say you don't like people. There's all, there's 7 billion people in this world. You might be able to find a few (laughs) that you like if you'll just look. (laughs) Yeah. I think we all need a, um, what I call a social support network. Um, and that can be in the form of a community that you live in. Um, the, um, and I've become a big fan actually of, uh, mobile home parks in recent years. And the reason I've become a fan is because I had so many people coming to my talks that would tell me about them and they'd say, but Sarah, I already live in a mobile home park and, we get together for, for all kinds of activities. We go to movies and we have potlucks. And if we don't see, if we don't see Joan walking around the park with her little dog one day, we all get concerned and we knock on our door. Now mm. that just frankly doesn't happen in the suburbs, but right. it happens in a place like a mobile home park where everybody has a small living space. People are outdoors a lot, whether they're walking their dogs, taking out their trash picking up their mail, taking their wash to the common uh, laundromat facilities. People don't see each other frequently. And that's the Mm -hmm. big difference. And that's what makes it kind of a naturally occurring retirement community. I am also a big fan of uh, home sharing. And a lot of older adults are aging in these, again, two and three story suburban homes, which I'm not a fan of, but If you're not willing to get rid of that home, think about all those bedrooms that aren't being used and maybe a a companion to live with you is the right answer. doesn't have to be somebody your age. could be a college student that will help you with the chores and in exchange for reduced rent or whatever it might be, especially if you live in a college town. So there's all kinds of creative options for not living alone. Um, people need to think about those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's going to have its ups and downs if you're living with other people that you don't know. And if, Mm -hmm. even if you're in a mobile home park, that's 55 plus, it's going to be people you're not going to like in in the neighborhood, but that's part of life and makes Mm -hmm. it interesting and something to gossip about. So (laughs) there's a reason to go outside every day, (laughs) complain about somebody. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a it's a known fact that a lot of baby boomers have not saved as well as their parents did for retirement. So how do you advise people like that who might not have the budget to look into a long term, like a retirement community or something like that, or um, don't really have the financial means? What do they do? Well, really, I've, I've already kind of been talking about some of those options. Um, again, uh, a mobile home park. You know, I, honestly, when I say this to people, some people have this horrified reaction that somehow they're going to, if they move into a mobile home park, they're going to be considered, I don't know, it's a terrible expression, trailer trash. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, it, there's a real fear that mobile home parks are these scary, low-life places and I, I, I'm sure that there are some that are like that, that there are um, mobile home parks you wouldn't want to live in. And, of course, there are parts of the country that are not conducive to living in a mobile home park. Um, I happen to live in California. Our weather and everything is pretty conducive to that, especially Southern California, the whole Southwest. But I know there's a lot of them are in the Southeast as well. It's not a great place to live in hurricane country. It's certainly not a great place to live if you get very, very cold weather up in the Midwest or the, or the Northeast. But if it's a viable option, um, there are beautiful, beautiful mobile home parks. Some of them are 55 plus. Some of them people raise their kids in and just stay. And all of a sudden you've got kind of, again, one of these, what I call NORCs, naturally occurring retirement communities. People are 
get bonded to one another and they care for one another. So there's that. And there's also, of course, the home sharing. Um, we've, you may have read something about these tiny homes. That's a new concept that's kind of coming along. Um, we're probably going to see some tiny home clusters in certain um, certain metropolitan areas. So I think we'll see more and more options. And of course, there is housing for people that qualify for um, with the lowest income. And if you are thinking, well, maybe I ought to try and qualify for something like that, my guidance for you would be start early, put your name in because there are huge long waiting lists for people to get into what they, what's really known as subsidized senior housing. Um, but again, I know people that live in subsidized senior housing that they absolutely love it. They have a community there. Um, they're, they're self-managing. It's not a kind of senior living where you go down to a dining hall. Um, but if you need food, um, then there are programs like Meals on Wheels. Um, these senior centers are a great place to go. If, if you're listening to this and you're, you're interested in finding out more about it, every county in the country, or I know in some places it's called a parish or a township or whatever, everyone in the country has a, has a uh, council on aging or a county department of aging. It's funded by the federal government, so I know you have one wherever you are. They have a lot of the answers to the questions that may be in your mind about subsidized senior living, about what kind of senior living is in your area, whether there's or are tiny homes. They, the people in these in these centers on aging, they they keep on top of what's going on in in that particular area. So I would not hesitate to uh, put to find out where they are located in your county and, and um, pay them a visit or a phone call. That's really good advice. That's really good advice. Um, I had a client who's uh, felt like she was stuck in her mobile home. She felt like she couldn't afford to move out of it. And I, she wanted to do so much. There was so much that she wanted to do in terms of work goals and she wasn't working at that point. So I had suggested that she maybe should think about finding a part-time job to get her out and to meet other people. Is that something you ever advise to people is that they work? Sure. People who are capable uh, physically of working. Absolutely. Um, I think that we need to get rid of this notion that people shouldn't work after the age of 65 or the age of 70. I, I, most people I know are still working at something. And if they don't need the money, then they may be working as a volunteer somewhere, um, two or three or four or sometimes five days a week, and they become somewhat of a professional volunteer. But there are, there are lots of jobs, especially right now. You know, we're in this kind of funny time period where a lot of employers are saying, I can't find workers and all my workers are quitting. They don't want to come back and work in an office. They want to work at home and we're not, we can't have that. And so it's, we're in this really unusual time of flux where we have people who are, who need to work. We have people saying, I'm not going to go back to an office. Uh, we have employers crying for workers. Um, so it, it may be a time when there's opportunity out there that wasn't even there two years ago. So might be a good time to, to look around. I mean, there's there, even a, a minimum wage paying job can go a long way towards supplementing whatever Social Security check you have mm. coming in. Yeah. And plus, it can replace a lot of the values that you got from work, like having mm -hmm. friends. And again, mm -hmm. something to talk about, somebody to talk to, being needed it can offer a lot of benefits to your mental health as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you see people doing right? The people that you work with, where they seem like they know what they're doing about their solo aging. Yeah. I, what, I, what I do see people doing right is creating their estate plans, which means develop, having a will, um, writing a will, having a, um, putting your assets into a trust if that's, ne if that's necessary. Some people for, 
find a need to do that. Some don't. Um, creating a um, advanced directive so that someone in your life knows what you want at the end of life, how how you wanted to be want to be treated in the hospital. Uh, unfortunately, many people do still end their life in a hospital, um, and so there are lots of there's lots of questions to be answered about how you want to um, how you want to live life when you are much older, and. So an advanced directive, giving somebody a power of attorney to um, handle your finances. Somebody's got to pay your bills if you're incapacitated. Um, and then there's always that that heavy anvil hanging over our head of the possibility of dementia. And now that we're all living longer, a, a huge percentage of us are going to not be the people we are today in 20 years. Uh, we're not going to have the minds, the brain capacity to think and make decisions and make good choices the way we do now. So it's it's just more important than it was in our parents' generation to make sure that we have coverage in that. Sometimes it means cultivating re- closer relationship with nieces and nephews, especially for, for solo agers. Um, for those of you who do have kids, it's having the conversations with your kids about what you want. I had a wonderful experience um, with my own father. He, when, when I was still, I think, in my late teens, he sat me down and said, I want to talk to you about what happens when I die. And I said, Dad, I don't want to talk about your dying. I, 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 you're a long way from that, and I don't want to even think about it or hear about it or anything. Well, he wore me down, and he proceeded to show me where the where all of his estate paperwork was. Now, remember, this is at a time long before the Internet. So yeah. he gave me a, a second key to the safe deposit box. He drove me to the cemetery where he had bought a plot, and he had even picked out his oh. own coffin. So... Everything was done. There were no choices to be made. And I'll tell you, 25 years later, when he did die, I knew exactly what to do. It was the kindest thing that he could have done for me. So we need to do that for the next generation. Who's going to be, think about who's going to be picking up the pieces when you die. Do you want to make it tough for them? Don't do this work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Die intestate. <laughs> that means without a will. Don't tell anybody what you want. Keep living in your two and three story house with those steep stairs. That's the cruelest thing you can do for your heirs. <laughs> My father it was a family law attorney and he handled wills and probate and he did not do anything. You know, like the cobbler's kids go without shoes. It was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. He didn't create it. And, so there was a lot of guesswork. Well, what would he like? What I mean, does he want to be cremated or buried? What kind of exactly. service would he want? It was just a lot of questions about everything. Exactly. And fortunately, my brothers and I all get along, so it was it, it was all handled well. Nobody left with hurt feelings or anything like that. But you know, there's yeah. still that nagging question: Did we do what he wanted to do? So it is nice. It yeah. is a real a real kind thing to just take a little while. I know people get spooked and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. But if yeah. you get it in order, then you can kind of relax because you know you did it. You don't have to think about it again after that and know that, as you said, the people who are coming along after you, it's going to be easy or easier. You know, people do get spooked about this stuff. And what I often tell people is just get it done and then live your life. Figure out what you want to do for your next act and get on with it. Get on with living after you've made some decisions and talk to people about what might happen, then put it aside. You don't have to dwell on it. Get back to the business of living and enjoying life because you probably have another 10, 20, maybe 30 years left. So, yeah, not something you have to dwell on. Just get it done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's really good advice. How about long-term care insurance? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I have it. Um, most of my friends have it. Um, some don't, uh, but 
you know, it's it's insurance. I mean, I know that the the prices are going up. Ours uh, a couple of years ago, ours more than doubled. But you know, we had had it at that point for fifteen or seventeen years, and it hadn't gone up at all. So you have to look at at it as insurance. I mean, you would never go without homeowners insurance. You would. You can't legally go without, well, at least in California, maybe that's not true elsewhere. We can't go without um, liability insurance uh, on our driver's insurance policy. So, you know, it's just another piece of insurance. It's not for everybody. Not everyone. That There's kind of a, a middle section of the population that I think should do it and should do it while they're still in their 50s, at least in early 60s. But you may not make enough money. To, for it to make sense at all. Um, or you may make so much money that you can kind of self-fund. But for mm-hmm. the for this big middle section of us, it, it makes a lot of sense because we're probably going to have huge care expenses toward the end of life. Now, you know, I might get hit by a bus tomorrow and all those thousands of dollars that we've spent over the years to pay for that long-term care insurance would be just gone. On the other hand, think how long you've been paying homeowners insurance. And if your home hasn't burned down, well, same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. Yeah, it's. I, I, I mean, I just think just to know, I would think if you're a solo ager, which... I have four children and chances are one or two of them are going to come through for me. But um, <laughs> to just not know who's going to be there to advocate for you or to look out for you, I would think it would give you some peace of mind to know that your insurance is going to help you yeah, come up with absolutely. those services. Yeah. yeah. But really more important than that is that you cultivate the relationships with people who will be there when you need them. It might be nieces and nephews. It could be, the adult children of some of your friends, maybe you've known them for 20 or 30 years. Um, it, it may be people who you're not related to at all, but it needs to be someone younger. And mm-hmm. for a lot of solo agers, um, they've kind of spent their whole lives hanging out with people that are about their age. And it takes some, takes some work sometimes to cultivate relationships with younger people. Now, if there's absolutely no one in your life that you can do that with, um, you can turn to a bank. They have uh, they have trust departments that will handle your affairs for you when you pass on. Um, it, it may be a viable option in, in the many cases. There's also usually a function within a lot of large churches and synagogues that will... Um, that will help out there as well. So, you know, start investigating the options for you. I, I would hope that most people would engage the services of an elder law attorney, also known as an estate attorney. They're almost the same thing, to help you put together an estate plan. And those, those folks often will have some ideas for you as well. Here in California, we have such a thing as a professional fiduciary. They actually can take the place of what your kids, where your kids would be in your, uh, in your power, with having your power of attorney um, or being your, being on your health care directive. So they can be engaged for that too. And um, I think Arizona is the only other state that has professional fiduciaries, but can talk to them, um, at least in that regard you have a person rather than a department in a bank, which kind of, I don't know, kind of leaves me cold. I, that would be my last resort. So, Yeah. Again, it just keeps coming back to planning everything you're yeah. talking about. Yes, you does. really need to set all these things yeah. in place to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, do you have any stories of people that were particularly interesting that, you know, maybe from reading your book or talking to you have changed what they've done or how they've handled everything as solo agers? Well, I, one story that I always find interesting, it actually taught me something and taught my friend uh, Mary, who was the, uh, the person that was truly involved in this. Uh, she, Mary 
And a good friend of hers, about 15 years ago, had decided to put each other on their advanced directives, on their PEPs for naming each other on their on their um, <clears throat> their estate documents as powers of attorney and as um, agent for health care. So they did. Now, they were about the same age. But, you know, at the time, they were both in their early 60s and didn't think too much about that. Uh, but there they were. So Mary moved away and actually got married. So, But she was still on Laurel's paperwork. What happened was that Laurel who was still living, who was then still living where they both used to live, about 150 miles south of where Mary eventually lived. Uh, Laurel got quite sick and ended up having pneumonia and actually ended up dying. And that all took place in about four days. Oh, my. So, yeah. So Laurel didn't really have an, a chance to contact Mary herself. Another friend called Mary and let her know what was going on. Mary rushed down to the hospital, but it turned out that the paperwork appointing Mary as having the proxy to make decisions in the hospital wasn't set up properly. So it took Mary a long time and several um, several other witnesses to for the hospital to say, okay, you can make decisions for this person. In addition, she was living 150 miles away, so that too was was kind of inconvenient. Um, and then, because Laurel did eventually, a couple days later, die, Mary then realized that she had not only been named as the healthcare proxy, but she also had her power of attorney for finances while she was living. But in addition, she was named as the executor on Laurel's will. So Mary was everything. She had to, it took her a year and a half to settle the estate. Fortunately, Mary at that point was not working full time, so she could devote a lot of time to this. But she had to do everything from sell Laurel's car to find a home for her cat oh, to making a decision about, she, fortunately, she knew she wanted to be cremated. That was about all she knew. Um, but she had to kind of stumble and feel her way along as she went. But again, it took a year and a half to settle that estate because they hadn't updated the estate paperwork in a, in a very long time. 15 years is too long to go without updating those estate documents. And just, it's a very complicated thing. So one of the things that that taught both Mary and me is that you want to it's <laughs> kind of spread the wealth. You don't want to name one person for everything. So, you know, find a couple of nephews or nieces that would be willing to step up to the plate. Um, I have a, a good friend in my book club who I've known now for quite a few years. She's a, a younger woman than me. She's 20 years younger. And I, because my husband and I have just recently redone our estate documents, um, I have put her on there and she's happy to do that she's comfortable with it she's not first in line but you you name people successively it's, it's good to have two or three people as backups because you don't know um, who's going to be available who's going to be in good shape to do it so um so you never know where those connections are going to come from uh, another person on my paperwork for uh, he's a backup for power of attorney for finances is the son of a good friend of mine. And I, he is now in his mid thirties. I've known him all his life since he was born. Um, and uh, he's a real squared away guy. And we had a conversation about it and he was happy to also be a backup. So you got to talk to people. <laughs> you got to look around you and see who's in your larger support network and find the people that will, will be there for you. Yeah, so you have to get out there and talk to people. Again, with the people thing. <laughs> yeah. talk to Again, people with the people thing. <laughs> go to clubs and stuff like that. I knew a woman who had basically alienated everybody in her life, but mm -hmm. she was a regular at Toastmasters for huh. decades. And so when she needed yep. people, there were people who was. were able to come through for her. 
And that she fostered those were with multi-generational people. So a lot of times if you're in a club or some other activity, you might have more of a mix of ages that can come through for you. Yeah. And I, I, you know, some people, some people resist doing this because they look at that and go, well, I don't have anybody close to me. I don't have any family around, so I can't do this. You can do this. Look around you to see who is close. One of the things about solo agers is that they typically have a much more robust social support network outside of their familial ties. And the fewer familial ties a solo ager has, at least close by, the more they're likely to have close ties with people in the community, people in organizations where they, that they've supported for years um, or belong to, like the Toastmasters. It's There's few people out there that are such loners that they don't have anyone. But it takes guts sometimes to bring up the conversation and say, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to have a, a talk with you about this because I, I, I need somebody. Yeah, that does take courage. But um, I'd be curious to know what the percentage is of people who say no. I would imagine most people are flattered. I, I think you're right. I think most people are. Once in a while, someone will say no because they just and, and this is all in choosing the right people because you want to find people that are capable and willing and competent. And sometimes you don't want to pick somebody to have your healthcare proxy that can't stand to be in hospitals. You know, yeah. for a healthcare good, proxy, good you need to get someone who's not squeamish about blood or <laughs> needles yeah. or whatever it might be. Someone that's pretty, pretty comfortable in that setting. And most people are okay in hospitals. Some people faint. So that wouldn't be the person I'd choose. No. <laughs> <laughs> what percentage of people would you say are solo agers in the 65 well, and up category right now? Yeah, this is not conjecture. Um, I know how many there are. In the baby boom generation, almost 20% of w- women did not give birth. Now, some of them went on to marry men uh, who had kids already. Um, some of them adopted, but not a real significant number. So you've got about 16 million women or now people in general, not just women. You had about 16 million people in the population who potentially are solo agers. I say potentially because some of them, again, did marry into families. So that's pretty large. And then again, I, I consider solo agers to be anyone that is aging without familial support without significant familial support. So that means it's a lot more than, than 16 million. It brings us up closer to 19, 20 million people. And that's in the baby boom generation. So it's, it's quite a number. Hmm. Well, and so you're, you're trying to bring awareness of this to everybody. And then are there agencies that need, that are maybe don't have the awareness or government Factors that I, don't have the awareness of this? Yes, absolutely. Um, the the um, Anyone who deals with older Americans needs to be aware of this. People in, I mentioned the, um, the older American, well, the Older Americans Act is what funded these um, uh, centers in, in every state and county for older adults. Um, here in where I live, it's called the... Um, um, Sonoma County section on aging. Um, we have a, they have an office. Uh, they have knowledgeable people that staff that office. They have uh, a lot of resources, both through the people there and also just resources that are in the office that you can pick up about where, uh, where older adults can live, about the services that are out there to support people in their homes. Um, so, Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a great purpose you have there to try and open this up to everybody because I think a lot of people have a vision of what retirement is like and and what aging is like. And uh, for a lot of people, it's not the same image that maybe your your mom has. So it's different. Right. Right. Exactly. Our retirement is going to look a lot different than our parents' retirement. It already does look a lot different. Um, Baby boomers were um, first generation in a while. 
to not have any um, uh, systemic uh, support because mostly when our parents were, were done with their working years, it was because there was a mandatory retirement age of 60 or 65, and then they got a pension. And those pensions are, for the most part, a thing of the past. There are a few legacy pensions out there for baby boomers that have been working for 30 years. But for most boomers, those pensions went away sometime in the last 20 years, and they're kind of on their own to be putting money aside for retirement, to be putting them into 401ks or some kind of retirement fund that's tax-protected. And, you know, people who have thought about this ahead of time and have been coached to to do those things are, are probably in pretty good shape. But people who have sort of glided along thinking that the government was going to take care of them in some way, it's not. I mean, we're kind of all on our own. Yeah. Also, people are living longer. Yeah. So, you know, our parents, parents may have died at 68 or 70, but you have a good chance That's of right. making it to 90 or 100 nowadays. So exactly you really need right. to put those plans in place. Yeah, put the money, put the money in there, and put the plans in place because the the um, the downside of the fact that we're all going to live a lot longer is that we might not live a long live that long healthfully. Now, there's of course we could go in another hour of conversation about what it means to stay healthy and and how people can better assure themselves a longer, healthy period of time during their lifetime. But the reality is that medical science knows how to keep us alive with a lot of diseases and ailments that used to kill us, that killed our parents. People survive all kinds of cancers. They survive heart attacks. They're living with diabetes. They're living well after strokes. But um, (laughs) those things are still happening to people. And um, medical science uh, is keeping us alive. So, yeah, we don't have a crystal ball. And we don't know what's going to befall whom. Right. Yeah. What else would you like us to know for whoever's listening right now? Oh, gosh. Um, well, we've talked a lot, a lot actually about that, that latest part of life where we need to plan for. I guess I want to back us up some. And for those who... Um, tuned into this expecting us to talk about the kind of classic retirement plan or what to do during retirement. You know, it's really everybody, everybody has a different vision of what their retirement days should look like. I still have clients that want to have a traditional retirement where they're having a life of leisure, they're traveling, they're, uh, playing a lot of golf or tennis or whatever sport it is that they enjoy. Um, they're, they're really leading a kind of an extended vacation life. And then there are people who look at it as their time to give back. So that's especially if you are retiring with the money to do whatever you want, it might be a wonderful time to actually put some sweat equity into that into some of the causes you believe in, whether that means working at a, um, a food bank or a, a daycare center or a, um, or a rescue for your favorite breed of dogs. Um, it just could be anything, but it's also a wonderful time for doing that. And then there are plenty of people who just need to keep working. And that's, that's good too. We're one of the things that a lot of us are, talking a great deal about these days is combating ageism. And we're hoping to see a great decrease in the amount of, of in the, the kind of ageism that we used to see among employers and just among the, the general public. Um, I was on a panel earlier today where we were talking about Uh, But we're talking more about ageism and ageism affects people in a lot of different situations. I mean, when you are older and you go to the hospital for some sort of treatment, um, will will you have to get in line behind the the 40-year-olds and the 50-year-olds or will you be served uh, as as just as worthy of some kind of... um, 
replacement surgery or transplant surgery, are you going to be considered just as worthy of that as the 45-year-old? So there's all kinds of nuances that ageism can take, but it's another thing to pay attention to as, as you get older um, because it does happen. You may have already experienced that in the workplace to some extent. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of women I talk to experience that. 50, 55, 60, they're, they're out, and then it's hard to get back in and make money even though they need to do that. So Men too, though. Men are yeah. having more experience. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would like to thank you for your time today, Sarah. It was really nice having you here. You have so much information, and I will include the link for her for Sarah's book if you're listening right here. And um, her website is Sarah Zeph Geber, and I'll spell all of those for you. Sarah is S-A-R-A, and Zeph is Z-E-F-F, and Geber is G-E-B-E-R, all one word there, Sarah Zeph Geber. Dot com And you can go there and order her book, which is Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers. Even if you're not a solo ager, it'd probably be behoove you to pick it up and learn about what maybe some of your best friends are going through, your neighbors, so you can have an understanding of what their picture looks like as they're going forward. And it has a lot of reviews. I went on the Amazon page, and you've got some pretty stellar reviews from people on there, people high up in the, in the aging and long-term care industry. So I thought that was pretty impressive and it sounds like a really great and worthwhile book. So I want to thank you so much for what you're doing to bring awareness to everybody. Thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach. So if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now. Bye for now.